Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Amen. Y'all doing all right today? Yes, yeah, good to be in the house. Hey, listen, we have uh, some friends here with us today that I'm super pumped about. Uh, I, I got to acknowledge this is one of my spiritual dads over here, Pastor Tommy's in the house. I always love when he comes and hangs out with us. Um, we, we also have another guy with us that you guys have never met. Uh, his name is uh, Garrett Gilday. Garrett's going to come up here and hang out with me today. Um, listen, so Garrett and his wife, Lish, are actually missionaries with Mountain Gateway. Obviously, you guys hear me talk about Mountain Gateway quite often. Listen, I asked Garrett if he could uh, just kind of give us an update on some things that are happening in the ministry of Mountain Gateway, kind of, of how we've been partnering with them. And second, we'll preach, and he's going to help me out today. Uh, and so uh, we'll dive in after that. So I just want to say thank you to all of you for um, forgiving for your part in us. Um, you've seen some of those pictures maybe of Mountain Gateway. Those are my coworkers and staff. And so um, there was a, I'll, I'll give you an update on this. So in uh, the end of last year, there was a couple of hurricanes that hit, that swept through the, the top of Nicaragua. And it was like one after another. So within a two-week period, there was two pretty large hurricanes that hit. And um, you guys were, had a part in that because you gave an amount that um, allowed us to respond to that quickly. So um, a, a group of us went down to check um, the damage because it, there's a difference between poverty and destruction from hurricane. And so we were scouting out areas. Our ministry, our, our goal is to go where there's no presence of church or pastors. So we're headed to the most remote. The government was responding, but it, they started really in the most metropolitan areas, and it takes a while for that to actually reach a lot of the affected, um, devastated part. A lot of those people are sustenance farmers, and so they'll have their crops and fields just out. Um, that's what they live off of. That's what sustains them, and most of that was covered by inches of water. So um, there's no plants. Their animals are displaced or swept away. And um, so you guys, giving allowed us to help us buy this boat, and if you think of these... Um, it's like a really large canoe, if, if for lack of a better a word. So there's, uh, they're fiberglass. They're maybe like 30 feet long. Um, they're modular, so you can kind of, um, you can arrange them either where they take all the seats out. So they can be move people or they can move cargo. Um, and then there's a snapboard motor on the back. They'll go up rivers, deliver. We delivered um, a bunch of food. About a month at a time, we would do like packages for villages along the river, that was, which is the lowest part um, that was affected and water filters. So um, the basic needs of people were, were met, and then with the long-term goal of not just like, hey, here's some stuff to, to help you out for a month. Um, so when we delivered, we would share the gospel, it would be preached, and then we would come back um, with a long-term view, right? So that's kind of the heart that we're after, is just a, um, a returning, a long-term, these are villages that we're going to visit on a repeated thing. So um, thank you guys so much for, for your giving, for your partnership. 
So, uh, you know, the reason I asked him to share that this morning is simply because I think a lot of times as a church, uh, we as a leadership team are, are, are you know, giving and sowing, uh, you know, money into things kind of behind the scenes and, and you guys don't see. But as a church, we gave $10,000 to that effort. So uh, I just say this. So thank you guys for your giving, right? Because uh, when, when people, yeah, it's cool. So, you know, once again, when people have that, that amount of devastation, all their livelihoods gone, I mean, li- literally, if nobody helps, nobody responds, those people, they die. And so anyway, so I so appreciate these guys. Obviously, uh, you'll hear more about what's going on in a second. But, but let's pray real quick, and then we'll, we'll shift gears. If you can, just get hungry with me this morning. I think Jesus is going to talk to us. Amen. So, Father, thank you for this morning. God, we come today. God, we're not coming just to play church, God. We're coming to meet you. And so, Lord, we stir up our hearts, God, and we choose to lean into you. Father, we believe that your presence and your anointing is available. And so, Lord, we step in this morning, and God, we just say, God, that we desire, God, to hear from heaven today. Lord, we desire to be challenged. We desire to be changed this morning, God, by your presence. And so, Lord, we choose to open up our hearts, and we choose to open up our ears and our eyes, God, to just be able to perceive and to what you're doing. And Lord, we just say that there's nothing in us, God, that's off limits. God, come and speak and come deal with whatever you need to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, this morning, I, I really feel in my heart that we need to piggyback off some things that we've been talking about for the past few weeks. Now, I realize that uh, some people can hear a message, and it's maybe similar to what we've been talking about, and go, we kind of heard that. But I want you to understand something. A lot of times when God is trying to uproot something from our lives, uh, we have to realize that that thing that he's trying to uproot didn't come in a week. And so it's not going to go out of us in a week. Right, And so there's times where God will continue to kind of beat the drum with us so he can kind of begin to shift the way we think and, and the way we perceive things. And I believe that's what he's trying to do today. And so my hope is, is that what we share today will, uh, not only will you hear it, but will you hear it and allow it to actually stretch and actually stir your faith today. Amen? So listen, to do this, I actually want to read a portion of scripture that contains an unusual yet amazing miracle that's found in the book of Acts. If you can, uh, we're going to read this. You can kind of put it in your pocket and we'll revisit it uh, towards the end. So let's pick the story up. It's Acts chapter 8, verse 26 and 40. Some of you guys may have heard this before. Some of you may not. But it says this, starting in verse 26. It says, Then the Lord's angel said to Philip, said, now go south from Jerusalem on the desert road to Gaza. says he left immediately on his assignment. Get that, he left immediately. God spoke, he, he didn't wait, he didn't try to figure it out, he just went, right? It says, along the way he encountered an Ethiopian who believed in the God of the Jews, who was the minister of finance for Candace, queen of Ethiopia. It says he was on his way home from worshiping God in Jerusalem. It says as he rode along in his chariot, he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, remember Philip's just walking down the road. He said, go and walk alongside the chariot. Notice how Philip responded. It says, so Philip ran to catch up. I love this guy. It says, as he drew closer, he overheard the man reading from the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. Philip asked him, sir, do you understand what you're reading? The man answered, how can I possibly make sense of this without someone explaining it to me? So he invited Philip up into his chariot to sit with him. And then says the portion from Isaiah he was reading was this. Talking about a perfect right on time moment with God. 
So this is talking about Jesus. He says, He was led away to the slaughter like a lamb to be offered. He was like a lamb that is silent before those who sheared him. He never even opened his mouth. In his lowliness, justice was stripped away from him. It says, And who could fully express his struggles? For his life was taken from the earth. It's talking about his death and his burial there. And so let's look at verse 34. It says, the Ethiopian asked Philip, please, can you tell me who the prophet is speaking of? Is himself or another man? And Philip started with this passage, which is Isaiah 53, and shared with him the wonderful message of Jesus. It says, as they were traveling down the road, the man said, look, here's a pool of water. Why don't I get baptized right now? I like the way these guys think, right? So it says, Philip replied, if you believe with all your heart, I'll baptize you. The man answered, I believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the Son of God. It says the Ethiopian stopped his chariot, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Here's why I read everything that I read so we could have context. Notice the next few verses, next two. It says, when they came up out of the water, Philip was suddenly snatched up by the Spirit of the Lord and instantly carried away. He was translated. To the city of Ashdod, where he reappeared, preaching the gospel in that city. Now, let me give you some context. Understand that God, he was having this moment with the Ethiopian, and God literally translated him, okay? Literally, he picked him up and moved him. Now, to understand the distance between Ashdod and the desert road of Gaza, guys, is 15 miles. So he went here to here, quickly, 15 miles, right? And then it says this, the man never saw Philip again. He returned to Ethiopia full of great joy. Philip, however, traveled to all the towns of that region, bringing them the good news until he arrived at Caesarea. Listen, in light of that passage, how many of you guys know when God uh, picks up, translates, transports, whatever word you'll use, a person from one spot to another 15 miles, it might qualify as a miracle? <laughs> Maybe the understatement of the day, right? So, so listen, here's why I wanted to actually start with this portion of Scripture. Here's why I wanted to read it. A few weeks ago, if you remember, I actually brought up a question that I've been repeatedly asked over the years. And that question is simply this. is Why do Christians in other countries see more miracles, more of the power of God, than we do here in America? Now, listen, when you begin to talk about stuff like that, obviously there's this thing called a competitive spirit that's in us as Americans. And we don't like the fact that we're getting beat somehow. Right, And so I realize that doesn't settle really that well with every person. But listen, the reality is, is, once again, the same God right, that lives in every Christian around the world lives in you and me. So the truth is, is even though that's the case, there's no doubt. You can look at statistics. He's traveled the world. He's traveled the world. I've traveled the world. We can tell you there's no doubt that, guess what, that God is moving in greater measures and greater power in other parts of the world than what we experience here. True or not true? It's very true. So listen, so if that's the case, then I think instead of us just sitting here and accepting where we're at, maybe we should begin to ask the question, why do Christians in other countries see more miracles than we do here in America? Listen, like I said a few weeks ago, and I'm revisiting this because, once again, it didn't get in this one week. It's not going to come out of us in one week. But listen, one of the most obvious reasons this is happening is because we in Americans, as Americans tend to approach God in our church gatherings with a consumer mentality. Right? Meaning, for whatever reason, listen, we've made things more about us than about him and his body. Right? So our approach is this. We come through those doors and we ask ourselves, what am I going to get out of today? Right? Listen, because of this, if we realize or not, listen, we want and we even expect God and the church to impress us. Listen, when that doesn't take place, we refuse to do what? Engage. 
or we'll just kind of give a courtesy, right? Listen, as difficult as this might sound, uh, you know, to hear, listen, the bottom line is, guys, what I'm trying to get at is, is that mentality is simply this. It's entitlement. Go hear what I'm about to say, please. And I want you to know today that God will never allow himself to be lowered to some circus show that's got to jump through all the right hoops, right, to somehow impress us, somehow get our attention, right, so he can somehow win our affection. Listen, he will never do that for people. And that includes you and that includes me, right? He's God. We stand in awe of him. He doesn't stand in awe of us. Amen? And so listen, I'm, the reason I'm saying this because I believe if we are going to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, then we need to go, you know what, let me say it this way. If we're going to become the kind of church that God can trust with his power and his presence, then we need to be open and willing to, to shed off what we've learned for years and years and years and say, God, I, I ask you to literally reach down in my heart by your spirit and literally grab a hold by the roots, not just the fruit, but grab a hold by the roots and snatch out anything in me that has uh, any, any uh, you know, glimmer of uh, entitlement or consumer mentality. Snatch that out of us. Right, Like I want to come in the door with great expectancy, man, that God's going to move today and all I need is one note and I'm diving in. Because why? Because we stand in awe of him. Amen? So, so listen, as we turn our focus back to that question, why do people in other parts of the world experience more power, greater power, and see more miracles than we do here in America? I just want to ask something. Do, do we think that our consumer mentality, our sense of entitlement, is the only reason we're not experiencing what's available to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? It's definitely not the only reason, right? And, and so, listen, because of that, I want to give you one more reason today. I could give you loads, so I'm going to give you one more. And, and it's simply around this thought, and I hope this lands. I hope it makes sense. Sometimes when you preach, there's things that you feel and you sense, and it's really hard to put a language to it. So I'm doing my best here. But, but I believe one of the reasons why we're not seeing things it revolves around a single thought, single idea, which is this. When we begin to uh, compare ourselves to other believers around the world, here in America, one of our issues is, is we have become too sophisticated. We've become too sophisticated. And listen, we all know that becoming sophisticated contains this idea of being educated and being cultured. And I don't think we have to be against education. We don't have to be against culture, okay? Uh, but, but here's where things go wrong, and here's where things get interesting, is when we actually stop and realize, and I didn't know this until yesterday, that the word sophisticated actually means this. Y'all listen to the definition of it. It means to be altered, to be altered by education, Listen, don't get me wrong. I, I, listen, once again, God's not against, against education. He gave us a brain. Amen. Aren't you glad? He gave us a brain. He gave us the mind of Christ. So God majors on that. He renews our thoughts for a reason, right? But, but I think that here's the thing is that he is against the type of education that alters what? That alters our faith to fully believe in him. Okay? So hear me out for a moment. I think, and this may sound hard, but listen, as Christians, we kind of have a... Uh, how can I say this, a reputation of sitting back and criticizing and judging the humanism that's taught in our local school system and in our universities. We may word it different, but it's really humanism, right? So, so watch this. Here's what I've come to realize is that we as a church are just as guilty of embracing a form of humanism ourselves in the church, right? Now, once again, that might sound a little strange, but I want you to listen to what humanism actually means. It means this. It means any system of thought in which human interest 
values and dignities are the key word, leading elements. Listen, God's not against any of this stuff, but he is against it being the leading element. And what I mean by that is, once again, he is against us having a sense of entitlement where, once again, where we are taught, where we embrace what that the majority of the attention should be on us. If the worship is not about us, if the songs aren't about us, if the sermons aren't about us, then guess what? Eh, we're not interested. So it puts the attention on us rather than God. Are y'all hearing me today? So listen, I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you hear all that, but I just think this, and this is my hope today, is that you and I would actually realize that when any group of believers puts an unbalanced amount of attention on themselves, that their church will not only become a nice little bless me club, okay, but, but it'll, they will also consciously and subconsciously put limitations on God. Right, And I think this, unfortunately, these limitations have caused a few things to happen. I'm going to say this, but, but Cinderella's slipper, slide it on. Let it, let, let it fit, okay? But, but listen, I just think sometimes when we put limitations on God, they cause us to do what? They cause us to approach God in a more logical and practical way. And what I mean by that is we try to, we try to uh, interact with God as if he's just like us. He's not like us. At all, right? And I think when we put limitations on God, what it does is it takes the word of God and we turn it into this like little three-step self-help program rather than realizing it's alive and powerful and capable of transforming our lives in an instant. Yes? And I think when we limit God, we, we do this. And y'all, please hear me. Please, please hear me. Especially in light of what Garrett's going to share in a minute. That, that we, when we put limits on God, we uh, readily accept defeat. Right? It's like we roll over. And what we do is this, because we're spiritual, we say this, well, it must be the will of God. And I want you to know today that everything that happens in your life is not the will of God. There's a real devil out there that really hates you. Yes? So, so listen, the other part of the limitations is this, is we tell ourselves this. Y'all hear me. This is really why I'm preaching what I'm preaching today. Is we say this, is that way back then in the Bible days, man, they must have needed more power than we need today. We act like demons have went on vacation. Like the kingdom of darkness is taking a lunch break, right? It, that's not true, okay? So, so listen, of course we don't run around and we don't say that out loud. We don't say we, they needed it more than us, right? We're Americans, right? But, but what, what happens is, is we actually twist it and we remove portions of Scripture, right, that would challenge us to think otherwise. And what we do is this, is we, is we try to remove the things from the Bible that would actually cause us to, to extend our faith, and then we say, okay, well, this now is theology. After all, we're sophisticated. Are y'all hearing me? And, and then we try to throw in this other thing. Because we say this, because why we're sophisticated. We go, plus we have science now, right? And, and, of course, science always helps explain everything away. Amen? So, so and lastly, it's this. It's like when we put limitations on God, we kind of limit God. We put him in this box, and we act like that God's only there to really help us when our washing machine breaks. Right? And of course, there's a few other things he's responsible for because, after all, it's his job to make sure I stay happy and comfortable in this life. And let's not forget that, guess what? It's his job to make sure I get a good parking spot when I go to Walmart. That is limiting God. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to somebody today. Yes? So here's my point is this, is when we teach and when we embrace a humanistic form of Christianity where it's all about us, where our eyes are on us and not him, guess what? We tend to educate faith right out of us. 
Right? And by doing so, what we do is we, and this sounds so cheesy, but it's true, is we remove the super out of the supernatural. And when we remove the super out of the supernatural power of God, guess what? We bring him down to our level. Yes? So if I could say it another way, it's this. Is that in all of our sophistication, we've successfully overcomplicated a simple faith. Yeah? Listen, and as much as it hurts me and pains me to say it, guess what? If we have an issue with that, all I'm going to say is this, is our lack of results and our lack of fruit prove it. Yes? So, so let me just say this, is, is I think if we would actually be willing to be honest with ourselves today, that we would admit that the overcomplication of our faith has, faith has produced one thing in our hearts, and it's this, it's doubt. And the interesting part, what I heard the Lord say is this, is that our doubt really centers, y'all, if you don't hear anything today, hear this, that it really centers around one verse in the Bible. In other words, if you would almost imagine that there was a target, right, and the bullseye, in the bullseye of doubt, there's this one verse that we don't believe anymore. And it's this verse that we can all quote with the best of them, but I really think we struggle to believe it. It's this, it's Hebrews 13, 8. It says, Jesus Christ... Jesus Christ is the same. That means eternally changeless, right? It means always that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. L listen, that's why I wanted to start with a portion of scripture I read today. Because I wanted to read a portion of scripture that would stretch your ability to believe. That God could go whew, whew, with somebody. Right? Not provide a meal. Not to hold you when you're broken, but something that was incredible, right? And I just think, listen, in light of Hebrews 13, 8, let's look at this verse one more, one more time. Acts 8, 39. When they came out of, out of the water, Philip was suddenly snatched up by the Spirit of the Lord and instantly carried away, translated to the city of Ashdod, where he reappeared preaching the gospel in that city. So, so listen, if we look at that verse, once again, through the lens of Hebrews 13, 8, I'm asking you today, do we really believe that can still happen? It's this, so I'm clear. Listen, what I'm not asking you today, churchgoer, who's embraced a theology that's not correct. Okay, we all got stuff that we need to learn, including me. But, but, but in this particular, listen, I'm not asking you if you believe that Jesus did that a long time ago. Okay, I'm not even asking if you believe Jesus can do it. What I'm asking you is, do you believe that Jesus still does it? Right? And so, listen, Jesus came and told us to cast out demons, right? He said, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, and raise the dead. And so when we look at this, do we simply believe that Jesus did those things way back then because he needed some kind of proof? Or do we actually believe that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is still doing these things through his people today? That he still actually wants to do it in and through us. Do we believe who he says he is? So if you're sitting here today and you're, and you're hearing me say, and I'm eating up all of Garrett's time here, is this, is that if you hear me say that, man, that God translates people, that God actually heals people and raises the dead, if you think I'm saying that, you're hearing me correct. He does. We're going to show you. Listen, I asked Garrett to share today some testimonies that are coming out of Mountain Gateway, not from 15 years ago, but everything he's about to share with you has happened in the last two months. Okay? So please hear this today in light of the verses we shared. Thank you. I'll start with the first one. Um, this actually happened December of last year, so a little over two months, but uh, this is recent. And uh, for me, I know growing up reading the Bible in church, we'd read the Bible, but it would really 
filtered to me as just stories, right? They're really cool stories, but they're stories, and they kind of stayed in that area. Um, but what I want to share with you now, just I'll tie it into the Stephen story. This is amazing. Um, it's a translation story that actually happened um, to a group of people. So there's even a group of believers and unbelievers. So as we talked about that hurricane that hit, there is uh, one of the things that we do as we travel um, we have the, they make GPS that we carry with us, and it'll send a ping about every 10 minutes. You can set it up to, you pick your recipients, it'll send you, here's, they're at this location at this time, and it just tracks you like that. So for our traveling internationally or backcountry in the United States, it's just something we use as a, as a measure of keeping track of each other. So we give this to our, our local pastor in Nicaragua. He's a native um, he grew up there. He knows every town like it's nuts. You'd travel with him. I've never met a guy like this. No matter where we would go, he would know somebody. Like on the street, we'd stay with somebody's house. Like it didn't matter. He just knows the country like the back of his hand. So he's got this. Uh, it's a team of all native people. He's the lead guy. He's the lead pastor. He has two others with him um, that he works with. And then there's three policemen that are really guarding him, because the way they're going is, uh, it's a dangerous place, there's some bad guys up there. So there's a team of six, they go up the river to um, take an inventory of all the people that are up there in need, um, after the de devastation of the hurricane. And uh, it takes seven hours of driving for them to just get to the river, and then two full days of like 15 hours uh, driving up this river. So the team of six and then the driver of the boat. So they rented a boat. They're going upriver, getting more and more remote. And just to give you context of the size of the area of the, of the um, jungle, it is twice as large um, as Puerto Rico. And it's four times as large as the Grand Canyon National Park. So a big area. It's a pretty large scale. So again, um, seven hours of driving, two days, 15 hours, driving in a boat. They, um, the way they do it is they'd stop, they'd eat lunch, they'd fish out of the river, there'd be villages alongside the river that they'd stop at. They're, they're camped one night um, in a village, and they're woken up, the main pastor's woken up at 2 a.m. The guy says, hey, you guys really need to leave. There's um, the bad guys around here. They're really, they're going to tell you that they're going to detain you, but what they're going to do is kill you. And so you just need to flee. They get up at 2, um, they take off into the jungle, and uh, it's, it's dark. Like, if you've ever spent time in a jungle, they are really, really dark. And I guess the way of saying it up here is, like, wicked dark, right? <laughs> close, close. Okay. Um, so they're going along, I mean, pitch black. They don't have headlights. They're trying to stay low profile. They're walking along. They keep the river um, on their right side. So they're, they're um, keeping that as a handrail. So if they get too far, you know, rivers do this and that. And so they're, they're hearing, they're within earshot of it. The main pastor, actually, one of his steps, steps on a crocodile. It slaps his leg. He lets out this scream. Now they're like zeroed in on where this team is. Shots are fired. Um, leaves and branches are dropping overhead as bullets hit him. So this is a real risky situation. Like it's, it's actually happening. They, um, they're still running away as, as fast as they can, right? And as dark as it is. Um, they see a boat on the river. They approach it and they say, sir, can you, can you take us across? We need to get across the river. We're, we're kind of in a pinch. 
He says, sure, yeah, I'll take you across. Um, the pastor, knowing the area, it's pretty wide and deep, and it's not like that at all. It's, it's shallow and rocky, and he's, he's just really mind-boggled of how, like, this doesn't make sense of what he knows to how it is. Now, I, I get, you know, there's seasons and change and all that, but he's not really sure where he is, and that will make sense here in a minute. Um, they cross the river, which is, uh, well, it's not just cross the river. They take an hour boat ride. Um, and then they, as the group is unloading, so they make it across. They're kind of in a safety zone. They're, the other, the bad guys don't have the boat. Um, they get out. They're unloading all their team. They, they turn around to thank the driver on the boat. You know, thank you for taking us across. Here's something. Like, he wouldn't accept payment. And as they turn around, the boat and the driver are gone. He's like, like disappeared, yeah, and it's not like a speedboat, you know, it's like a Vespa driving away, right? The, uh, they arrive at a town, and as they're explaining to the town people what happened there, like even the townspeople that live there are like, you came from where? Like what happened? And to give you context for this, they're up that two, two days up the river to get to the place they're going, so there's a river, there's a big mountain range, and where that town is is on the other side of that mountain range on a different river. Those rivers don't connect. So what we had read about in Acts, that happened. God picked up this group of six people and dropped them on this other side of the mountain range. If you flew as the crow flies, like if a helicopter left from where they started and landed where they got in that town, it would be an hour and 15-minute flight. And there's no way, there's no way they could physically walk up and over that mountain range in the amount of time they did. On top of that, this is the really cool part in that sophistication piece too, is there's documented proof from where those pings, the pins that it sent, like from technology, which is so cool. So it's a technologically based miracle too. There's proof of it, which is amazing. Um, so that is super cool. I think it's super encouraging to me because... Uh, I love, one part of the story that I love is there was no white missionaries in that group. Like, I love that. These are people that I helped disciple. Like, I know them. I spent time on their porch sharing the gospel. And that is amazing to me that God is, I mean, of course he is, right? He loves every person. But to uh, the care that is demonstrated in that, hey, I will rescue you. I'll take you to another spot. I will save you. Another awesome story is um, there, we had our first at least for our ministry side, we had our first person raised from the dead. There is, um, there's these rivers. They do a lot with rivers no matter where they're at. So if they're in the mountains, there'll be streams that they'll block off um, to create pools for gathering water, for washing clothes. And there was a river that, I'm not sure the size, but it was big enough or small enough, I guess, where they, they had that. They had a rock wall. Um, there's a pool there. Um, there's a ladies that um, are gathered there. And one of the ladies had just spent time in a, in a prayer time, like a, our visit, right? So we visit, we pray, we read the Bible. That's, that's pretty common. It's like many house churches. <clears throat> so that morning she had just spent time with one of the leaders. And um, there's children that are playing around that pool. And the moms tell the boy, um, you know, don't play around that. That's, it's dangerous. You can't play. Um, as any child does you know they don't listen fell in the pool um, at, but the thing was at the bottom of the pool there was the outlet for where the water drained so boy fell in 
he got sucked and pinned against that rock wall. They, uh, they're looking for him. You know, there's a lot of commotion in that. I mean, it's a village. It's not gigantic, but there's enough people like looking concerned with the welfare of the boy. He, uh, they, they were able to pull him out. He's purple and blue, um, lifeless. He's got blood coming out of his nose. Um, these are not like trained people medically. So they're trying to like suck water out of his lungs. Um, and the lady comes to her mind, you know, I, I prayed this morning. Why don't I pray now? She prays for him, and minutes later, like, he comes back. He comes back to life. And this is, uh, she had, she had, that morning, um, someone told her in that prayer meeting that she would see miracles along the river, like, that very day. And so the faith that stirred up from somebody, that these are, like, new believers. These are new Christians. God is good, and he is faithful, and so it's amazing, like, what stirring in her for that morning to say, you're going to see miracles. And hours later, she gets to experience that firsthand. Let's read um, Luke 18, 15 through 17. It says, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus called the little children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who, can, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to have childlike faith? And I would say it looks like this. Like, when you teach children, if anybody's taught children, they're like sponges, right? They absorb the information. And they'll just take it for what it is, right? Like, why is the sky blue? And you explain it. And they're like, okay, I got it. File that away. Without the, like, well, ex- I, I don't know about that. You know, I don't think you're, my experience would say otherwise, right? So as adults, that's the ten- we tend to stay on that side. We tend to live more on that side of the questioning, whereas children um, receive it. I looked up that last verse, verse 17, about what does that really mean? And here's a couple points that I just really love. To receive means warmly receptive, Ready reception of what's offered, we welcome it. The kingdom means the sovereignty, the royal power, the authority or rule. And child refers to somebody in training. Still teachable. So for you to say it again, in other words, we're missing it. If we cannot warmly welcome the rule and authority of God, viewing ourselves as someone still being trained. So I just want to encourage you this morning to stay receptive Be like that child that accepts what we read in the Bible, not just as stories, but as something that God is, that's still his heart. His heart is still to rescue his children, still to bring life, to draw close to him. And so I just want to leave you with those. Thank you guys for for having me. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate it. Love you guys. Thanks, man. So if I can throw something out there, just when he talked about the story with, uh, you know, the guys in Nicaragua, the mountain range and all that. So to understand that when they're sitting there looking at a GPS, that they're watching these pings, right? And when you see a ping go there and the next ping is on the other side of the mountain, you know God did something incredible. That's what he was saying, right? And the cool part that, that, because once again, I took up all this time. So is this, I thought was really cool, is the same guy that woke the team up and said, hey, you might want to get out of here. What happened to be the, the boat driver. So my point is this. That I, don't know, I think it was an angel. 
right? And so I think that's pretty incredible, right? And, and if, you need, if you need some uh, scriptural proof to back that, go, go read Acts 12, and it'll balance it out for you. Amen? So uh, there was another story that he was going to share. Uh, see, because he's looking at the clock, and I'm like, hey, I'm the pastor. I'm taking time, so it's bad, right? <laughs> so, so there was a, uh, another story he was going to tell, actually, in the last, was it, a few weeks ago. Basically, a, a, a lady that was going blind was healed as well. And so what I, what I love about this is, is I'll just say this, because it's a common theme what we've been teaching lately. It, what I appreciate about all three of those testimonies is this, is they all basically show the importance of one word, dependency in Jesus. Right? And, and I think every miracle is rooted in dependency in him. And so if I can kind of address something really quick, I think the problem that we run into so often is, is we try to learn dependency in the middle of a crisis. All hell breaks loose in our lives, and then we try to go get dependent on Jesus. But you got to understand that he actually uh, wants us to learn dependency apart from a crisis, that we just learn how to trust him and have faith in him and believe in him on a day-to-day basis, that we're literally waking up with our ear to his chest, going, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? And when we learn dependency like that in the day-to-day, then guess what? When we get in those moments... It, it, it doesn't all freak out, right? A, a verse that, that Garrett was going to share out of Acts chapter 4, where it said that basically you could tell that disciples were uneducated men, but it says this. It says, but they knew that they had been with Jesus. See, when you've been with Jesus, you learn dependency upon Jesus. And then when you have a crisis moment, guess what? All of heaven responds uh, because you're ready. Amen? And so I, I just think this, the other problem will be done, is that so often we hit a difficult spot, and what happens is we resist the tension of it, right? Instead of grabbing hold of the fact that God will actually allow us to encounter difficult moments in life because he actually wants us to remain dependent with him. Now, we can understand, oh, well, that's that, you know, God, why do you do that? But the reality is, is God knows that our problems and our crisis are real opportunities for him to move in our lives, right? If we don't automatically accept defeat, Right? And so, and here's the cool thing to me about dependency is it really shows, even in those stories, of how much God just wants to be involved in our lives. It shows how much He loves us, right? That He's not leaving us out there high, to, high and dry. And so, I would just simply say this I'm going to end with a quote by Leonard Ravenhill, and Pastor Tommy's going to come and he's going to pray for us. I haven't asked him, but I just asked him. And so, um, um, I just, yeah, I like it. So, anyways, so, so Leonard Ravenhill said this He said, Someday, Someone is going to pick up this book, talking about the Bible, and believe it and put us all to shame. And I think the lesson that is simply this, man, if it's in the book, let's just believe it. Amen? Because why? Because it is written, settled, right? you come pray for us? Hey, let's stand together. Let's go to the Lord. Great stuff, right? Fantastic stuff. Come on, let's go to the Lord right now. By the way, just incredible presence of the Lord here. This is your moment to reach out, touch the Lord, grab hold of the Lord, because he's grabbing hold of you. It's a reciprocal thing. Come on, let's reach out to him and grab hold of him. It's not because he's not there. It's because you're grabbing hold of him right now. Father, thank you for the testimony. Thank you for your word, for faith comes by hearing, hearing about the greatness of who you are, hearing about your word, letting it get deep into our spirit, man. And Lord, it becomes real inside of us. And Lord, we not only say, can it be real for me? We say, Lord, it is real for me. Lord, I ask you to do it in my life this week, next, the next hours and days, Lord, not weeks and months and years, but Lord, in the next hours and days. We ask you to 
cause these things to be real in our lives. Lord, I ask that you touch each person that's here, that as you've uh, incredibly rejuvenated them and inspired them today, that they will take your word, the truth of your word, the power of your word, and just like the early disciples, as we see, they went out and saw God faithful to his promises. Now, Lord, bless them, put your hand on them, keep them, send them out for your glory and in your name and in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Everybody said amen, amen, and amen. Come on, put your hands together together for the Lord one more time. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.